Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. And this is Get On Board, a podcast about games worth playing. Join us every week for great analysis on board games, pick fives, reviews, and all sorts of other entertaining board game talk. Welcome to Get On Board, a podcast about games worth playing. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And we have some fun stuff lined up for today. We're going to do our recent plays as we always do. Really great review of Azul and a fun pick five on five games worth playing that were made before, on or before, on or before the year 2011. Cool. Kind of the anti-hotness. That's right. Hotness game, anti-hotness pick five. And for people who follow our podcast, you should know that we do not always follow the hotness, despite the fact that we're reviewing Azul today. Uh, the majority of our reviews and the majority of our plays are actually older games, and we really like to keep good games in the spotlight. It's one of the things this podcast is all about. Yeah. But got to tell you about one thing. In terms of keeping good podcasts in the spotlight, this podcast is going to go down for a season break. And when we're back, you're going to love it. We're going to be better than ever, but we are going to take a break for about a month to get some vacation time in. And this podcast is a labor of love. It's not something we get paid to do. And it really flows out of a lot of our plays, and so I'm really yeah. looking forward to uh, just having a little bit of time to relax with the family, to get some plays in, yeah, and uh, really just come back re-energized with lots of uh, great material. And it bears noting that this is our 25th episode. We've done this for 25 weeks, which is pretty awesome, I think. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. So if you're just now catching us, make sure to go back and you know, commit 24 hours. You can, hey, they could binge watch us in just a little over a day. In a little over a day, yeah. So, if you listen on 1.25 speed, you could do it in under a day. We challenge you to do this with energy drinks. No, somebody will sue us. <laughs> Don't do that. So, uh, in all seriousness, we're going to be coming back from this break better than ever. We're going to be uh, not reevaluating our format, but just kind of looking at what works, what doesn't. We're hopefully going to be pushing out a new website in time with season two. And yeah, we're really excited to be coming back. You can listen to our back catalog in the meantime because we actually have a back catalog now. Pretty Very great. good. Well, let's get started with our recent plays. I uh, didn't get quite as much gaming in as I usually do, but I got a couple here. Uh, what about you, Andrew? What's what, what comes to your mind on, on... Well, I need to publicly eat crow for my unfair bashing of a certain game designer who is rather well-known and very well-loved, not by me, but... Can you hang on? I'm going to go scrape a crow off the driveway. <laughs> So I finally got a chance to try what is arguably Steffenfeld's best-loved game, and this is Castles of Burgundy. Got a chance to play this on two separate occasions, and as it turns out, I'm not allergic to all Feld games, just Trajan. So that was welcome. <laughs> you know, that was welcome well, news. Well, and Bora Bora. You, you and Bora Bora, you that's right. Of Bora oh, Bora. I couldn't make it through the rules of Bora Bora. But it's, it's interesting, though, isn't it, how, like... There are Kanitsia games where if that was my first exposure to Kanitsia, I'd be like, Never eh, try them again. Yeah. Eh. Polynesia was our first exposure to Kanitsia. Actually was. <laughs> and it yeah. put me off for quite a while because, I mean, the man's designed 600 games and not all of them are good. Yep. But Stefan Feld, Castles of Burgundy. This is a themeless game with really, really good mechanics. And even I loved it. What do you I mean themeless? I really enjoyed it. You buy the things to put on the thing and then you put those things on the other thing. There's castles. There's lots of burgundy there's actually no burgundy Burgundy in the game game at all on the box because it's a region not a color but yeah no this game i actually really liked it all joking aside uh it's a satisfying engine builder it kind of has you know we reviewed ganshon clever yeah it kind of has that saying ping 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 you know bonus 
structure going off where every time you place a tile, you get a benefit. And sometimes you can you place a tile that lets you place another tile and then that gives you some benefit. So you're kind of chaining these off of each other, trying to build your own personal little fief in Burgundy, I guess. And yeah, this is just an intriguing puzzle. I really liked this one. I actually liked it so much. I'm looking at maybe retheming it because it's really not much to look at. So maybe I'll, you know, put a Martian theme on it or something cool. I don't know. We'll see yeah, if I have the time. <laughs> that's right. Put a Mars theme on it. It'll sell a million copies. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not. We could I'm call not, it. We could call it like terraforming Mars or something. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, you know, and that's that's the thing. I admittedly have been trying to get Andrew to play this game forever. And uh, I think this may be the, the closest thing to a game that you've liked purely for its mechanics that I've seen. Yeah. Yet. The other one that springs to mind is Ginkopolis. Mm hmm. Uh, a game that I just purely admire for the mechanics. The gameplay is just so good that I'm willing to overlook. I'm including you know, your no abstracts. Theme. Yeah, obviously, but, obviously abstracts. Yeah. But yeah, for a game that pretends to have a theme, this is one of the most themeless, but also one of the most mechanically pleasing. I really enjoyed Castle of Burgundy. Yeah. Well, one of my recent plays was Captain Sonar. Mm. Those of you who've been following our podcast know that I talked about this at Geekway to the West. Torpedoes charged. Oh, oh, love that. That's such a tense moment. But yeah, so I got to play Captain Sonar with some college students. They really enjoyed it. But I have to admit, like that's a game where you can't afford a weak link. Yeah, that game is really group dependent. It's not a fault of the game. It's just. No, yeah, it is. And there are some people like I had one person who who liked the puzzle of being the navigator, but didn't like the pressure. Yeah. And so they just kind of took their sweet time about it. And the captain is needing information and just not getting it in time. So he's just totally guessing yeah. at where to fire the torpedoes or lay mines or things mm. like that. And so, yeah, and I'm whinging a bit because of the fact that we lost it twice in a row. <laughs> ah, but no, but there are high fives going on all around on the other side. And that's that's how it should be. That's what that game is all about. It's all about right. each of you just playing your part in this really tense, epic real-time back-and-forth struggle, and the game, the game, for the most part, really shown. I I, I, I would agree this is for the right crowd. Yeah. Um, it's almost the kind of game you would develop a game night around, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really struggle with real-time games. I, With the exception of Escape, which I play two-player with my wife, I'm really not that high on these. I mean, I played Captain Sonar. It was okay. <laughs> I still think it's a little bit gimmicky like i don't think there's people out there playing this game 30 times i just don't know so yeah i think if you can find the right group or the right type of people who would enjoy it you can bring it out at parties you can maybe bring it out at 10 parties but i think it will be that kind of casual game not a really like tense game that you develop a metagame around with the same crew oh man I think there's a lot more there than meets the eye. Yeah, I, because I'm to grant I, I, that. I love the way that you sort of instantly divide into your roles. And, oh, by the way, I think I figured out, at least I was, maybe you weren't. I wasn't playing something wrong in this game. I was being a lot more forgiving about some of the, the way that the pieces of the sub are exhausted. Oh, um, yeah. And so it, it really is a bit more thinky than, I've, than, than you realize. But if you've ever played regular Battleship, Mm-hmm. And you're at the point where somebody hits your ship, and you realize they're going to nail it in a couple more turns, and there's nothing I can do about it. Captain Sonar has to appeal to you. Raise yeah. your fist and say silence, <laughs> or we're surfacing, or 
I mean, there are ways to get away, and that's just so right. cool. Yeah, I get that. And um, yeah, so I, yeah, we had a really good play of that. So well, very Captain cool. Sonar. Yeah, we also cracked out Saffronito last night. It was you mean heaven. It was very neato. I came in dead last. I, full disclosure here, look behind the curtain and get on board. We played uh, Azul several times last night, and we played Saffronito. A variety of player counts. I placed dead last in every one of these games, so it was just not my night. I win that but, game more often than I lose it, and I—it's weird. I'm really normally like—I'm yeah, normally I, not good at those kinds of. I still really like games. this game. This is a really uh-huh. good game. You know, some bad luck on the throws, some terrible luck on the timing of the recipe cards, but uh, that's all in the past. And Sofranito is still a really good chucking dexterity euro oh, game. I just really like this one. I sure wish it would come back uh, into print. I think it's still somewhat available through. Uh, through the Canadian market. You can yeah. buy it in Canada, I believe. Because, man, I was trying even the German stores. I couldn't yeah. find it. So. I don't know. Uh, the publisher, uh, Zogzum Spiel, they are kind of notorious for this behavior of making really good games that then kind of struggle with international distribution. Actually, mm. uh, they also published Via Paletti, which won the Spiel des Jahres in 2001. And it's this fun little dexterity tower stacking game can't find it anywhere can't find it anywhere so i'm i'm a little bit bitter but that's okay you know the games are good so well what's what else is on my recent plays well obviously azul which we played a lot and we're yes. going to be reviewing here in a bit it's one other one worth noting is i played another round of shadows over camelot which has come up on my recent plays before, ah, the classic although not for a while and again this was after playing captain sonar we had about we had actually exactly seven people, hmm. and we just threw. I, so I just pull out Shadows over Camelot, tried and true, explained it for the millionth time, <laughs> and I'm really good at explaining that. There you game go. Now. And for the millionth time, it it, it was pleased it. the crowd. Yeah, I, I just I cannot believe how well built this game is. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes designers must stand back, and I feel like you you talked about this with Feld. You, mm-hmm. you said, "I wonder if Feld's been chasing this game." Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder that about Castles Over Burgundy. Like You mean Shadows Over Camelot? <laughs> castles of Burgundy, you know. Castles I'd... of Burgundy with Feld. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering like that if that's true. Like if mm-hmm. he's tried to, like if every game that he creates is trying to sort of do something different but still capture that yeah. level of magic. And I wonder if Cathala feels the same way about. Uh, there's several Cathalas that I really like. I don't know. You're right, though. It's hard to get that second hit. I mean, I think of Carl Chudik, you know, arguably, at least from the ones I've tried, never broke out just quite as magically as Glory to Rome did. So, yeah, it's it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. But I don't know. You haven't tried Yamatai yet. That's another Cathala <laughs> that I really like. So that about wraps it up for me. Yeah, for me, too. Cool. Let's go into reviewing Azul. All right. Azul, the beautifully themed game, which, uh, just kidding, it's an abstract game. But there's a little bit of story here. So the story goes that the King of Portugal is actually visiting Alhambra, board game crossover right there. And he's so impressed by the ornate tiles on the palace walls of the Alhambra that he orders them brought back to Lisbon. And these, of course, become known as Azulejo tiles, which are uh, distinct to Portugal and kind of the Moorish re- region. 
And you also see them very heavily in a game like uh, Lisboa by Vital Lacerda. So they're a part of Portuguese culture. And in this game, what you're trying to do, however thin the theme may be, you are trying to build the best tile wall to impress the king. So what you have is you have this really cool tile wall that has five color, five different color tiles in each row. And the way that they're structured is you'll never see, like you can't duplicate where a tile is so if it's, if a blue is in spot one on the first row it's going to be in spot two of the second row spot three of the third row etc so basically each row has a different uh, configuration of the same five tiles the top row has one empty tile next to it the second row has two empty tiles next to it the third row three the fourth row four the fifth row five of these empty tiles so you get tiles onto your wall by picking them from the center of the table and filling your little rows here from left to right. So it's going to be easier to fill the top row because all you have to do is put one tile on there and boom, at the end of the round, it's going to just transfer over to your wall. The row at the very bottom, you're going to have to get five tiles in. So it's going to be right. a little more difficult, but and it just transfers one tile. And the other tiles in the row are just discarded um, on, on, on the row that you use to fill the, the tiles on the wall. So it's a little bit hard to explain without seeing it visually. I'd encourage you if you're listening to this review and you haven't uh, checked out as a little... Maybe kind of just do a quick Google search on that, on that, um, on the player board, and you'll you kind of see what I'm talking about here. Now there are market spaces in the middle from which you can buy the tiles. Every market space at the beginning of the round gets four random tiles put on it, and then sort of, um, uh, what is it, five tribe style? Not not with the Mancala thing, but you sort of like pick a tile and you take off all the tiles of one color on it and you put it on one of your rows. And whatever tiles you didn't take off that, that, that marketplace, you put in the center and now it's sort of publicly available. That center becomes like another marketplace slot, right? Right. And so uh, it sort of becomes this puzzle because imagine that, you know, you just need one yellow tile to finish off your five row. Well, you pull a one yellow tile off. Well, now there's a red, blue, and blue that go into the center to Go with another two blue that are already out there. You just gave your your opponent the chance to pick up four blue from the center and put it on his four row so that he could fill up a blue slot, uh, a blue spot on his wall. So that's sort of like this game, the rhythm of the game, if you can imagine it. It's probably hard to follow uh, just completely from an audio track here, but if you can imagine it, you're pulling tiles from the center of this table. You're putting them on these empty spots, and then from the empty spots at the end of the round, Wherever you fill a row of empty spots, they transfer from those onto your wall. And that's basically the main meat of the game. Right. Now, there are some other spots. There, there, how do you score points in this game? Well, you score points by sort of Scrabble style. If you pull a tile next to another tile, then it's going to be worth two points. If you put a tile next to another tile that, and it touches two tiles horizontally and vertically, you get to add sort of those rows just kind of like you do in Scrabble. And you also make points by getting all five of one color filled in or by filling columns down, um, you get like seven points per column that you fill up. Now, the clincher to this game is that whoever fills in a row, a horizontal row first, ends the game. Right. So you finish playing out the round, but then the game is over. Uh, a couple of other clinchers is that every round, at the beginning of every round, you put out those tiles in the marketplace, like I mentioned, but you go until all the tiles are gone. And another final interesting thing is that this will lead you to take tiles that you can't place anywhere. 
Because if you draw, say, three red tiles, but all of your other, all of your empty spaces are allocated to different colors or, or, or there's no space for the red on your empty spaces, you're going to have to put those in some spots along the bottom of the board, sort of a penalty track. And so uh, managing not getting tiles into your penalty track and actually trying to get it so that your opponent gets tiles into his penalty track is a really interesting puzzle, too. So that's sort of just an overview, a really brief overview of the game Azul. Andrew, what do you think of the game? I like this game. And actually, my first magic is that penalty track when someone gets stuck with negative a dozen points because they <laughs> had to take a really big honking group in the middle of the board. So it was the last thing and they had nowhere to put it. And if I sound bitter, it's because it happened to me last night as I was in the process of coming in last six games in a row. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. So that's a bummer, but it's also awesome because it was my own fault. You know, I saw exactly what I should have done differently to avoid that fate. And you have no one to it's a drafting game from this middle spot. And so it's this constant balancing act of looking at what everyone else has on their boards looking what you have on your boards, what's available in the factories and the marketplaces, and just taking the best available option. But sometimes, you know, what's strictly best for your board will give someone else a really good possibility or it will, you know, open something up that someone really needs or it'll hurt you in the end. So you've got to be really careful and canny as you draft these pieces. And I love that. Okay, this is inevitable that this comparison is going to come up. But this game reminds me a lot of Sagrada, which uh-huh. is another very popular spatial abstract game. But the thing about Sagrada is there's not manipulate. You can't manipulate the middle at all. You can't manipulate that draft pool. But with Azul, you have these different factories and whatever you don't right. take goes into the middle. So you can create or break up groups of color as you need to. You have so much more agency over what other players can take even or what they what is available to them and i love that it's super satisfying you swung a door wide open for me and i think i'm just <laughs> going to step through it okay so grata is a game that we've taken some flack for giving a negative review to it's a uh, critic's darling um it just is so incredibly visually appealing it has the same sort of build a you know, build yeah. a multicolored space kind With of restrictions thing. you know it's that same spatial puzzle right and where Sagrada falls flat is not in, in the idea of its mechanics, it, and it's certainly not in its visual delivery. Oh my no, goodness, the all. game is gorgeous. Oh yeah. But it's just not that interesting. Yeah. At the end of the day, and, and, and people, people argued with me about this on Board Game Geek, at the end of the day, it was, um, could I look at the other opponents, could I look at my opponent's boards and try to figure out where they were going to place that next piece and what I should take and what I shouldn't? I suppose I could. It was kind of a little bit obvious to me. And frankly, at the end of the day, the puzzle was just not interesting enough. And I just didn't care. Right. It just, it just, it just didn't deliver well. And maybe I should just lead this into like the magic as to what I think Azul does right that fixes that. With Sagrada, you're, you're managing two kinds of random elements. One, what got pulled from the bag. Right. Two, what values they got rolled to. Right. I think those two random pieces together in the end are too much for that game Hmm. because the variance level is so high 
and your control to mitigate it is so low yeah. that the obvious choices just become too obvious. Right. And it, it, just, it just isn't that satisfying. Right. And to swing this back to Azul, this is not a Sagrada review. Right. <laughs> um, but in Azul, it is satisfying. It's well, very and satisfying. And that's the comparison I want to make because, because it handled variants better. Yes. And just the, the whole method that you draft those pieces gives you okay first of all you don't have the die values you just have colors so you're already mitigating the randomness there but then second of all not only that you have you also have the control over what you take sends other tiles into the middle you will you will be adding tiles to the middle which the middle becomes the most important place to take from as the round goes on because combinations get created there Mm -hmm. well maybe your opponent needs exactly two blues so by taking these yellows and pushing two more blues into the middle you're actually really screwing them up because you're taking two groups of two and making them into four blowing away both of his options to take blues so Mm -hmm. you have that kind of agency to not hate draft but just manipulate the middle in the way that benefits you the most and here's the crucial point for me When we played Sagrada, I said, gee, this is super accessible. I would love to introduce this with my group. I wonder if there's another game that's as accessible as this while still being way more satisfying. Because I kind of thought that to get more satisfying, you would have to trade off accessibility. Azul is no less accessible. Azul is just as accessible in my mind. I will have just as easy of a time teaching this as I would Sagrada. And the puzzle that's there is so much more interesting. I was weighing that comment. Is it as is it as accessible as Sagrada? It is as easy to teach, actually. Yes. It's harder to think through the options, but that's okay. Yeah. And the other cool thing is you don't necessarily have to. Right. I just, I think I'm guilty of overthinking this game, honestly. Huh. I think I just need to feel the rhythm, feel the ride a little bit more. So right. I don't know. Right. So yeah. It's an incredibly satisfying puzzle. It just for me, that's that's my second magic point, I guess. That I was I mean, I'm going back to that magic I mentioned earlier. It handles variance and decision in a beautifully balanced way. Right. And I and in an, an accessible way. It's just oh, this has just restored my faith in the fact that there are designers trying to produce <laughs> games that are going to last beyond a dozen plays. Right. This game is so replayable to me, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you flip over the board and now you have uh, sort of the, the blank squares that don't force you to put the tiles in a particular spot, but you still have to obey the rule that one column can't have more than one color in it. So now you can't put two blue like on top of each other but they don't necessarily have to go in the exact same pattern they were on the first board. Right. You have some agency in choosing that too. Right. That just makes it so much more interesting to me. Yeah, there are expansions for the game too, as I understand it. I, An I, expansion, at least a mini expansion. So I'm a Joker little loath to yeah. try it out because I don't know about the concept of wild tiles on this thing. But yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing I like about this game is kind of that I, I don't know. I wrote Sudoku Rush in my. <laughs> my notes because when your plans just go perfectly right and you and the pieces you need are still available and you drop them into the exact slot on your board that you need because remember when you drop a tile in you're going to score 
any adjacent pieces in its row and any adjacent pieces in its column, which means you might score seven, eight, nine points just from dropping one tile into place. Mm -hmm. And that's super satisfying because you just kind of just one tile and you know, points, you know, that's awesome. I love that. It's just so satisfying to see that puzzle come together. You know, my wife loves games where she gets to make something. And this is definitely one of those games where at the end, you know, yeah, I lost, but man, I made a really cool little mosaic tile pattern here and i'm pretty pleased with that you know that's a good quality for a gateway game to have i will laud as my next magic this game's beautiful appearance and looks hard to everything to me when it comes to games i am much more willing to put up with a game but as you hear um i'm much more willing to put up with a game just uh that has bad looks just for its beautiful mechanics but this has both brains and beauty this is just a classy and attractive game. And these tiles are just so gorgeous and they feel so, oh, so cool. And they're just so fun to handle. And they, they just make such beautiful patterns on this board. Yeah. It's just, oh. It's the hive effect. It is. <laughs> those those Bakelite tiles, or as I like to call them, those polyoxybenzylmethylenlycholinhydride tiles, which I learned today is the full name for Bakelite. Wow. I've made a big decision. I was going to save this for maybe after the review. Okay. But um, I'm actually going to be moving out of this house. Um, I need a house that's entirely made of Bakelite. I think you mean you need a house that's entirely made of polyoxybenzylmethylenlycholinhydride. <laughs> oh, man. This stuff is they're, just so cool. They're pretty. I don't know what it pretty. is, but I just... Yeah, I'm, I might have to pry this game out of Tim's hands when he... Uh, re- He's, he might not return to me. I this is know. your game? I thought it was mine. Uh, oh, hey, 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 now. I've logged on Board Game Geek. I have proof. So, Tim, is uh, this is a perfect 10 game for you, then. You have no criticisms of it. Uh, it's hard for me to rate anything a perfect 10. Okay. Well, I've got some criticisms of it. Yeah. If, if you want me to throw them out uh, there. and A it's, couple of small ones. Go for okay. it. Go for it. So, one thing that's interesting. You said this game has a lot of replayability. I haven't played this game enough. I could see it getting kind of samey if you play it too often. Uh, I don't know if that puzzle will. I think I could get 20 or 30 plays out of it probably, but I don't know if it would be a lifetime evergreen game for me. See, and I feel like there's enough variance in how the tiles come out. That's true. That. Okay. uh, Yes. Could you get sick of this? I suppose you could. I mean, just like you could of any game. You play 20 or 30 or 40 times, but that's not just fault of the game per se. That's just the nature of the beast, uh, the nature of human attention. Yeah. But I don't know if I, I would find anything about the mechanics or the puzzle so samey that it would become less interesting to me. Yeah. The time. And I guess, okay, so the necessary caveat here is I kind of haven't seen this game beyond a lightweight. Don't spend that long thinking about what you need to take and just kind of roll with it. 30 minute filler game. That's a very succinct label. Whereas you kind of have tapped into the strategy of this game a lot better than I have. Definitely it has led to more wins for you, but I think you see this game more deeply than I do, honestly. So that could be part of it that I don't understand the game. I feel like I understand the game on a more shallow level than you do. Which is odd to me because you usually one who sees these games a bit <laughs> a bit especially on, on more abstract ones you, yeah you, you tend to see them a bit more uh quickly than i do yeah for some reason on this game i'm looking at the other players 
boards able mm-hmm. to predict pretty well what's going to motivate them. Mm-hmm. And I've got a couple choices in front of me, and either one I do is going to lead them to a choice. And uh, okay, maybe this pushes them more toward that five tile bonus, but at least it denies them this fill that they're going to do right now yeah. to get eight points. And um, I've been pretty good at predicting that. And I guess that's, I think that's the thing. Your instincts work better with this game than mine do. Well, I don't have, I don't have instinctive plays in this game, which I, that's usually how I play most games. Yeah. I usually play for my gut. And with this one, my gut's been wrong most of the time. (laughs) And maybe that is a drawback to this game. Maybe I'm just dumb, you know, (laughs) it could be. (laughs) I think you just, I think you just had some bad games. Well, but awesome. but okay, let's be fair about this. Take like the person who who steps into splendor, and it's like mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not going to spend time looking at what other people are doing. I'm just going to try to fill up some right some stuff on my board and just kind of make it work and you know have some fun. Uh, for a serious splendor players, that drives that that can really drive them nuts because right. you have somebody who's just sort of like uh, sort of going on an autopilot. It's really even more right. frustrating when that person wins. But. Um, <laughs> Azul. I guess I guess I wouldn't see this game as a game that's played by super serious players. I, no, no, I, I it's not. I, I mean, I played this last night with somebody who who wasn't, you know, who doesn't uh, lean toward the the heady games, and, right. and she really enjoyed it. So, but it did favor me. I have to say, <laughs> it did it did favor the person. This game does favor the person. Is willing to try to think four or five moves ahead. Yeah. But at the same time, I can see this game doing really well in my game group with a lot of first time players. It yeah. does have that accessible quality. I don't have enough plays of it to say over time, how experienced can you get in this game? How much advantage does a really experienced player have? I don't actually know. I yeah. have not played the game over a long enough span of time. We're not talking number of plays here, but just length of time watching watching this game be played. I think it. I think it does decently at, at both sides. So small tragic for me in this game, and I'm still messing with this one. I still don't know. I waffle. Here we go. The victory. The end game condition. Mm-hmm. You fill one row. The game is over. Mm-hmm. Especially on the top row where you can actually end the game in five rounds. Five rounds. Yeah. Just seems a little rushed to me. Yeah. And it feels like it might have been better conceived if it was like a two row condition or maybe at the top if one player has a top row and the other player has a bottom row or i don't know there's some it just it does feel a little bit rushed but on the other hand i can see the need for the rush right because if you didn't have that you could fill in every tile yeah mainly yeah yeah and the game could take what i like this game if it wasn't 20 minutes but 40 Mm mm-hmm uh, not as much, yeah. probably. So I, I can kind of see the need for it, but there are just sometimes that that end game feels a little bit rushed to me. Yeah. Well, I have one more slight tragic to level against this game. It's a beautiful, gateway, accessible game that I can bring out with just about anyone in my game group that only plays four players. Ah! <laughs> This is a drafting game. No, yeah, that's a good There's question. There's no way this Why? couldn't have been five players. You're building your own personal boards, so maybe you throw in an extra five tiles 
of each color for for a fifth player. It's actually uh, it's actually so egregious. I've thought about buying a second set to just do it anyways. Yeah, and keep, you could do it and keep the ratios the same. Yes, I bet you though that that's why they did it. Cost. No, not just cost, but time. But they didn't want to ding their game on setup time. Yeah, it is a pain to have to like uh, do a lot to scale a game, and I bet that's they they weren't wanting to do this. Yeah, but I, I can see where what they should do is put out like a five to six player expansion. Oh that has yeah, the, just you know just the basic just the boards tiles, and tiles. Boards. You know, yep. and put it out for. I would be I would be all over that because yeah. here's the thing: when I find an accessible, high quality game that I want to introduce to a lot of people. Flexibility of play count is a must. I mean, yeah. all the all the games that are on my shelf that I bring out for newbies, you know, Dixit, we reviewed Deception Murder in Hong Kong, Deep Sea Adventure, Skull. Mm-hmm. All of these games have five players at a minimum, often six, seven. Dixit goes up to 12. I mean, for Pete's sake, ah, for such an accessible game that's so beautiful and so intuitive, it just kills me that it only goes to four. I really want to play this game with more people. To be fair, it's easier to to include um, higher player counts on true draft. Well, I say this is a drafting game, but when I say like simultaneous drafting games, right, right, this one is Which, still sort of like sequential draft. Be an interesting variant draft and pass so, to the left or something. I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> that actually would be, wouldn't it? It would be fun to tinker so, with this game, but but yeah, no, Azul is I think definitely worth. I think it's at a great price point for what it is. Yeah, and I. I think, I mean, the fact that I got seven games of it in yesterday, that, that to me is actually pretty big. I'm usually, even if I like a game, after yeah. about three plays, I'll be... That's crazy down. for you, yeah. I've I've played this on three separate occasions, but that one night was, that's a lot of gaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Azul gets my recommendation. I recommend Azul. Spatial... Gateway games, I guess you could call them that. I haven't had the best luck with them. Photosynthesis, Sagrada are two notable ones that I've ditched. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely like Azul the best of the three. I would recommend this if this is your type of game, but I just don't know if it will appeal to everyone, which is really what I look for in a true gateway game. And so I recommend this game. I don't want to try to make it something that it's not. But I, I, I really like this game, but I don't love this game. Let's put it at that. I, I've got a lot of love for this game. Yeah. I, I knew you would be higher on it than me, which, which surprised me. But when, as soon as we started playing it, I knew that, that your conclusion was going to end up higher than mine. Boy, I, I just, I don't see any reason to ever play Sagrada again. I don't, even like if I were, Sit down and look at this versus Splendor. I would play mm. this any day. Wow, those are that that is a big admission yeah. from Splendor's number one fan, Tim Haynes. I, and I, I really, I really love Splendor. Now, Century Spice Road is a different thing. Yes, that's like a converting yeah. things to yeah. things kind of thing. And uh, but see, Splendor is it a drafting game? Kind of. You choose your 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 chips at the beginning, but. Mm-hmm. I know I, I like the variance that this gives in terms of how those chips come out yeah. and the puzzle that that creates. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this game is going to have to get some some real love for me. Yeah. Uh, high recommendation on my part. Well, there you have it. That is Azul by Michael Kiesling. 
It's currently nominated for the 2018 Spiel des Jahres. Join the Bacalite Addicts Club. Join the Polyoxybendimethylenly Cullenhydride Club. All right. We have our pick five. One, ga- one game on my list is older than you, Tim. How does that make you feel? Dang it. It makes me feel like we got crossover. <laughs> All right. Well, if ah. this is your first pick five, we should tell you a note about crossover. <laughs> when we cross over, we activate our backup picks. So I actually have seven on my list. I think you've got like a 10 or 11 on yours, on your short Six, list. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I got 12. 12 on your short list. So what happens is if we have some crossover, uh, the first person to mention it gets it, and the other person will kind of bring in a backup. So uh, on that note, I guess I'd like to go first. Let's let's tell them about the rules. Remember, what's the rules? For, what are the rules for this list? This this is five. Uh, that's right. That's right. This yeah. is a pick five of board games that we love. Yes, that are that were produced on or before two thousand eleven. Right now, that doesn't seem like we're going too far back, but in board gaming history, that is quite a distance. It's not the go. hotness. It's, it's not the yeah. Hotness. It's that's, definitely not the that's hotness. seven eight years ago. So. And so when I was building this list, I actually went back even further on my original five. Only one of them is even published after 2000. So I pushed way back. I wanted to go way, way back here. Got a lot of 80s, got some 90s. And yeah, let's let's take it away. I would love to see what you have in the 80s. I have nothing in the 80s. Oh, boy. I have 90s and then I have before. But okay. I have nothing in the 80s. All right. Take the first one, man. Okay. I'm so going to take it and I'm going to force you to use a backup because you have more items on your list. All right. My first pick published in 1968 by gaming legend Sid Saxon is Acquire. Did we cross over? We did cross over, but I have a different year for some reason. Oh, well, well maybe four. Oh, yeah, this is the one. This one is, uh, yeah, this one has, it's like 1963, 64, 68. There's like a bunch of copyright dates on it. So I think you're right. I think it is like 63, 64. But 68 is what it said when I looked it up. Yeah, that's way older than me, like 15 years. Yeah, oh, yeah, like at least a year. Yeah, Uh, Oh, Acquire is a classic. I don't get to play this one enough because it looks boring, so not a lot of people want to pull it off the shelf, but still... This is a deep, tense game. There's a lot of positioning oh, and posturing that goes on in between. You're battling for control of these hotel chains, and you just have to make savvy decisions. You have to kind of read the other players. This is the epitome of everything I love in gaming. It's so and, elegant. Oh, it is just it's so mm, perfectly elegant. And and if I could pause for a quick rant here, why on earth has no publisher ever managed to put this game in an interesting package? The one that's out now oh. is garish and has these weird 3d buildings that just totally i don't know i want something that's elegant i want something that looks like a fine chess set for this game and don't try to streamline this game if you re- if you produce no, it. no don't no, no. change the rules it's good <laughs> it's it is stuck around that long because it's very good i have the so i have the 3m bookshelf edition it's the teal blue box mm-hmm. and it's kind of got the guy looking pensive on the front yep. i recommend that one it doesn't look like much but the game is good. The game is fun. This one can be had for pretty cheap. Highly recommend Acquire by Sid Saxon. Yay! I get to dig into another one on my list. There you go. That was a crossover. All right. First one on my list shouldn't be a real shocker, but I'm digging back to 2002. Okay. For Puerto Rico. 
Uh-huh. There we go. There it is. I don't know if Puerto Rico was the first game to have ever sort of introduced this um variable roles like you take mm-hmm. a, you take a role the person next to you takes a role and then you kind of like execute them in that order and everybody can do sort of a similar thing but uh there were certainly many other games that came after that 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 um that took that on and listen i know that puerto rico gets still gets a lot of buzz and i get that but i i bet you that there are a lot of gamers out there who don't who have not played this game and i'll bet you that you're probably put off by its appearance and you know what I have to say about that? You're right. It's an ugly game. But, and I've seen some re-themes of, of this that are really cool. Yeah. But the, uh, the the game as it comes from, well, it's not Rio Grande anymore, is it? It's Alia. It's Alia? Yeah, my, I, have a, I have a Rio Grande games version of it right over there. So. Oh, I don't know, yeah. But, um, be yeah, the, the, the um, sort of the manufactured version of this game is just not that, um, that interesting looking, but the, the gameplay is so incredibly appealing and the tough choices that you have mm. to make and the timeline that you're up against and the way it has some really, really bad screwage in this game. <laughs> I will tell you, you can really jack up your opponents on the sh- on the shipping goods section yeah. where you just sort of put one, one of your goods into a ship that nobody else is producing that good and that right. ship is stuck. Right. And it can, only pr- it can only ship that kind of good and you're the only one who's going to be able to put uh, put that in so your hmm. your neighbor's sitting on five of a different kind of good can't ship but it. not only can he not ship it but he doesn't have the warehouse stored in it by the oh. end of the turn and so all that stuff gets wasted wow it, so it has some maddening moments back from a day when euros were meaner were interactive and and could good. could could slam you could slam each other a bit more mm. in, in them so i I love Puerto Rico, and that would be the first on my list. I still have yet to try this one. I really need to try this you one. Do. You do. Um, well, let me qualify. My list is organized by date, not by preference. So these ah. are in, in what have you order. But mm-hmm. my next one, published in 1981, is Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. This is my favorite mystery story-based oh, game. that's right. That does go that far it back. It goes that far back. Fun mystery, case-based game, cooperative Really unlike anything else I've played and still probably my favorite way to spend two or three hours with my wife. I just love playing this game. It's so much fun. Now, I'm using my list also. I wanted to give my list some spots to sort of highlight the obscure. Okay. Uh, so this wouldn't be an order of preference for me. This is why we guys, we do this pick five because it doesn't hold us into a top five. Right. So we can revisit this list and give sure. you another five really interesting ones at some point. Sure. Um, but the next one I'm going to throw out is a game that was produced in 1998. Mm. A trading card game produced in the wake of Magic the Gathering called Doomtown. Oh, I should have guessed this would be on your list. I have Doomtown Reloaded, and I love Doomtown Reloaded. And Doomtown Reloaded is more balanced. It is sleeker, and as far as the gameplay goes, it's a better experience. In terms of the, the, the mechanics of it. But the original Doomtown has so much character. The mm. cards were a lot rougher. I mean, mm. uh, they were a bit more violent. They were more horrific. Uh, the mm. story was a lot more gritty and harsh. And it, and it had this real interesting community behind it. Guys, what they, what what they were doing back in the day here 
um, I believe it was AEG when they had it, they were actually creating um, the story based on the tournaments that 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 were being played and, and what factions won and and so all this all this interesting lore developed around this game and there is just something very addictive about the appearance of the game the story of the game and the mechanics of the game this whole idea and if you've never heard about Doomtown the main thing that it does it's really fascinating is that your combat is poker hands hmm. and that that just really it's just so cool. Um, the fact that when you go into combat, you lay aside your hand of cards and you draw five cards plus modifiers from the top of your deck. You get down to your best poker hand and you go by the number of ranks that the highest person has over the lowest person based to base how many casualties that the other player takes. Interesting. So, um, yeah, am I cheating a little bit? I'm digging back <laughs> to 1998, but it is a game that you can get today in, in its uh, current form of Doomtown Reloaded, but it's a great game, and so um, I'm sticking to that one. All right. Well, this next one will probably surprise you. This one is also obscure. Probably my favorite obscure game out there. This is published in 1985. Kuhandel. Ah, This game's been around since 1985, published by Ravensburger. So the version that we've played is called Kuhandel Master, which adds the rats. That's really it. That came out in, I think, 2006 or 7. The original version of this game has been around since 1985. Wow. This is such a good game. This is truly a classic. There's trading. There's negotiation. This game is an evergreen for me. This game is, like I said, everything I love in gaming. Mm-hmm. It's in your face. It's wheeling. It's dealing. It plays quickly. It's a fun card game. I love Kuhandel, Kuhandel Master. They're basically the same game. Definitely give this one a try. It can be had fairly easily these days. I don't know if it's still being printed, but copies are out there. You probably won't pay much more than 15, 20 bucks. Get this game. Give it a shot. It's wacky, but it's ah, it's that it's that bonanza style of just Fun German family card games. It's in that same vein. I really recommend Kuhandel. The next game I'm going to pull out is from 2005, and that would be Nexus Ops. Nexus Ops is that old, huh? It is that old. Wow. Um, it, oh, man, it had some really cool older editions, too. Like, huh. Have you ever seen the ones? I can't remember who had it because it's changed publishers a few times. Um, I think it's in a yellow box. It might be an Avalon Hill box where the pieces are glow-in-the-dark. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, That's crazy. So, you know, it's like in 2005, and admittedly, my like sort of Ameritrash game history is not super deep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like a lot of Ameritrash now, but I actually, it's actually a fairily recent phenomenon for me. Hmm. So I, I can't say we're sort of where Nexus Ops fell in the sort of dudes on a map combat history, whether it right. did anything groundbreaking, but it did for me. Mm-hmm. Because I love this idea that you're not just sort of moving guys around on and, and chucking dice, but there's sort of like these cards that are also involved in the combat and these objectives that aren't just that aren't just going to favor the guy who has the most territory, although it can be beneficial, obviously. So um, it, it just has it had really cool choices to make about movement. It had some dice chucking in it. it had these really cool car, card modifiers uh, that, that that impacted combat. And I just put it together in a package that was, I don't know, just visually appealing, fun to play. Mm. 
Nexus Ops is just a really exciting game. And mm. um, yeah. I, 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 even as I play some modern dice checkers, I, I look at Nexus Ops and say, you still have a place on my shelf. There you go. So Nexus Ops. Very cool. Well, my next one, this is what I'm calling my obligatory Reiner Knizia pick. Reiner Knizia is known for his games in the 90s. And I don't know, Tim, if you realize just how crazy peak Knizia was. Mm-hmm. So consider this. My, okay, so my pick is officially Tigris and Euphrates, released in 1998. It's my favorite Reiner Knizia game. Crossover! Listen to this, though. Reiner Knizia, in 1996, released Modern Art. He then released Samurai, Tigris and Euphrates, and Through the Desert, all in 1998, and he followed them up a year later with Ra in 1999. Wow. That, to me, is the equivalent of, like, the Triple Crown. That's, like... I mean... The most furtive time of his oh, career. That yeah. In that list, you've got Samurai, Tigris, and Euphrates, and Ra, all of which might be top ten games for me. One of which definitely is. Tigris and Euphrates is my number two game. Samurai and Ra mm. could both be on my top ten list. And, oh, wow. Just, that's crazy output. And those are all classics. They've yeah. all stuck around. They all see publication today. Tigris and Euphrates is my favorite. It's just got that civilization rising and falling that's just so deliciously tense and mean and wonderful but really any of these could be could be my pick here i know i'm cheating by putting five and one but yeah reiner Knizia in the 90s just kind of as a block was just crazy well i'm gonna let that one count for two of mine then okay because i have both tigris and euphrates and raw on this list there you go i suspect you might have one raw is just the ultimate auction game so it just bad. does auctioning so in good. such a cool and interesting way. Yeah. And you combine that with the, you know, the set collection that you're having to do. Um, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just perfection in, a, yeah. in an auction game. It's, yeah. it's just hard to. And it finally got such a gorgeous edition that's now available. Mm-hmm. really recommend the, uh, what is that? Windrider Games edition of Raw. Just beautiful. Well, the next one on my list, we'll dig back down into 2007 for our last game is safe (laughs) (laughs) race for the galaxy i thought about this one yeah i'm giving props to this game and if you caught some earlier episodes of get on board you might have heard me kind of be a little bit mean to this game until you played it i have done a complete 360 (laughs) that's a joke um, a complete 180. Oh, 360. <laughs> I was gonna say, I've done a complete 720. I've spun around three times. <laughs> I've, uh, I've done a, I've done a complete 180 on this game. Um, okay, so this game takes sort of a bit of Puerto Rico and really streamlines it. Yeah. Now I don't remember which came out first, this or San Juan, which was like Puerto Rico's. San Juan came out, I think, the year before. Really? And Glory to Rome came out two years before that. So they all came out roughly the same time. But it took, I don't know, it just took, uh, it took this kind of activity to a new level. This mm-hmm. idea of, you know, I I choose an action, you choose an action. I played I played this mostly two players, so. I choose two actions. You choose two actions. They're going to fire in a particular order. Whoever right. shows the actions gets the benefit. And you build this interesting tableau of stuff that builds on other stuff that builds on other stuff. But 
that sounds like a really long, interesting engine building game. It's a short, interesting engine building yeah, game. That's what's amazing. And about. you have to be ready for the fact that the engine that you build is only going to fire once, twice, at you yep. know maybe three times, and the game is over. Yep. And so it is truly a race for the galaxy. <laughs> and that, boy, I have to give. I, I finally get this game. The thing that was really tough for me. There were two things: the iconography. Mm. And the shortness of the game. But now I compare this to so many games that came after it. Eminent Domain, Core Worlds. And I'm not saying that those pale in comparison. But I'm saying race holds its own. Mm. The games that have come after it, come after it, many of them have done an excellent job. Mm. But race still holds its own. I've been thinking, yeah, that one, that one sticks in your head. So, sure. yeah, if you haven't played it, I highly recommend it. I really, this is one that I hate to do this for, but I'm going to recommend that you even download the app and play it on the app. You almost need the training before you go in against any other players. The iconography, no. it'll get you through the iconography. Yeah, he's probably right. It'll get you through the iconography. <laughs> he's probably right. You're right. So, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, theatrics notwithstanding. Well, my final pick, this is my single pick from the 2000s. So we're going 17 years ago to 2001. This is Hive, which was, I think, one of the first games that we reviewed on this channel. This is definitely my most played abstract game lately. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been playing it a lot with some game night guys. It's simple. It's fast playing. There's strategic depth there. Uh, games can go a little long with uh, equally matched players. You know, I have one friend in particular who likes to really slow the game down and really play things to his advantage. Yeah, that's you, Steven. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, even with that, this game is just still great. It's it's a fun classic. I really like Hive. Uh, yeah, it's often, it's often on my table. Very good. Well, my last game is another one that is fairly popular and fairly critically acclaimed and has versions still coming out. Ticket to Ride. Oh, yeah. What is it really? Ugh. Don't even talk Ticket to Ride. Okay. Um, uh, Power Grid. From oh, me. Power Grid. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, Power Grid is a little bit of a. It has some clunk to it. I will admit, it's like setting up the whole uh, auction board and some of the rules where you have to remember that if you hit this point in the game, you have to take the highest, you know, uh, uh, cost uh, uh, power plant from the auction board, and you have to reshuffle things in a certain way. Some of that is a little bit heady and a little bit clunky. My son was really good at remembering that. I almost can't play this game without him. I'm like, yep, time to do that thing, and he does it. <laughs> but, um, again, this was a Euro that was half, half spreadsheet, half really stick it to your neighbor. Hmm. And just getting in each other's territories and taking that spot and yeah. forcing the other player to sort of route around what you just did. And competing heavily for the, you know, there's nobody's gone for coal uh, power plants uh, lately. And so there's a bunch of coal out, you know, it's available cheap and there's a super high coal power plant out. And so you're going to really compete for that one and, 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 and just ratchet that up and bidding things up to force other players to play more is a tactic uh, that really works yeah. in this game too. So there's, there's just a lot of meanness and a lot of, um, interaction. Okay, I'll yeah. put it that way. That's a better way to put it. There's a lot of great interaction in sure. this very, very thinky Euro. 
And I bring it up because, yeah, it's one of those games that I hear a lot of people talk about saying, oh, yeah, Power Grid, that's, that's, that's a really good game. But I've actually met a lot of people who've heard about this game but have never played it. And I think, um, I think it's worth a play. I think yeah. it's uh, worth pulling out. Well, my last play of this game was way back when Alicia and I were still engaged. When wow. I was visiting you guys, probably actually one of the first games that I played with you after, you know, Smash Up and uh, Thanks a Lot. <laughs> so, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I guess you really threw me into the deep end there, but I, ba- I barely remember that. So I need to yeah. play it again. Yep. Uh, definitely a classic. Well, I'll save any honorable mentions from my list. Actually, how many games did we get through all together? One, two, three... Four, five. Six. I had five on my list. You didn't. I went first, so I didn't use any of my backups. Seven, time. eight. I have eight that we hit because I had three crossovers with you. Yeah. Acquire, yeah. Tigris, and Euphrates, and Raw. So. Yeah, and there are so many games I could have put on this list, especially if we had, if I had really let myself push up against that 2011 boundary. Oh, so many games. I had probably 30 games that I narrowed down to five. This was tough. Mainly because we're, you know, looking back at such such good years. But I'll get on a little soapbox too. Maybe this will be a good thing to kind of close out on. But you know, the hotness of chasing the hotness is kind of enjoyable in its own right. People always find the latest and greatest thing kind of interesting, right? But it can also lead to a lot of waste in gaming, a lot of waste mm-hmm. of time, a lot of uh you know, playing games that aren't really tried and true and you don't really know what the experience is. And you have like a really, I think playing the hotness sometimes leads to like a couple of really cool plays at first. And then this like real drop in your fun factors. You yep. realize this game's not really all that it's cracked up to be. There is some real value, guys, in looking at the back catalog of games. And um, not always either at these really popular type titles like Power Grid, you know, mm-hmm. games like Kuhando Master that are just really tried and true and just really did some interesting and unique things that are fun then and are still fun. And we really hope at at, at Get On Board that we are able to um, just continue to bring those sort of, those games back into the highlight because we think they deserve attention still. Uh, Fun gaming is fun gaming. doesn't matter what decade the game was made in. So This has been Words of Wisdom with Tim Hange on KJRZ. Listen to the words of the master. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps up our 25th episode and the last one in season one. If you missed it at the beginning of the episode, we're going to be taking a break a month or two to recoup, to play some great games, to uh, roll out some new features for Get On Board, like a new website. Don't go away. We'll be back in the fall with you guys. You can always listen through our back catalog. In the meantime, we're going to be taking some summer vacation you can find us on the web at www.getonboard.games you can read any of our written reviews or listen to any of our past podcast episodes there you can also find us on itunes on google play music we are of course on board game geek we are board game geek guild number 3162 so look us up there the get on board guild on board game geek We'd be happy to hear your thoughts, discussion about this episode. What are your favorite games from the past that are no longer the hotness but still worth playing? We'd love to hear your answer to that question. As always, this has been Get On Board. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. Thanks for listening. Bye.
So let's just run that from the okay. top, the whole thing, because...